0: All right, we are continuing with our uh, study of the Apostles' Creed. If you don't have a copy, look on with your neighbor because I don't have any copies. And that's probably not going to go well for me in leading us. So if you and your neighbor have a copy, can I borrow your copy? (laughs) Thanks. (coughs) Appreciate it. Uh, We are on to lesson five in the third millennium material, which we're using as a guide. The lesson five is titled, The Church. Let us begin, as has been our custom, by reciting the creed together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let's start with a question. When you hear the word church, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Our building. Our building. People. 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 Anything else? I think both of those are very good answers. I think that that's uh, kind of what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a family, a uh, people, and an institution. Neither of those are wrong. You don't want one of those without the other, frankly. Um, There is an organized government in the church. It is an institution. It is... uh, As an institution, a blessing to the communities where we live. I think if you removed the healthy churches from this community, it would only be a short amount of time before the community really noticed. But also that organic uh, family connection as the people of God. What are then, uh, and we may have just touched on it, but what are a couple or few of the most prominent metaphors that are... uh, for the church that are found in the Scriptures? The bride. bride. What else? The body. body. Both of these are clear in Ephesians 5. Um, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Ephesians 5.23... Uh, just as the body is one with many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So they're uh, talking about body, but you also in Ephesians 5 see, you know, bride with that. We're talking about husband and wife, Christ in the church. Uh, that's elsewhere as well, Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, uh, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's talking about the people of God at the end of time, having been redeemed and restored And adorned as a bride for her husband. So, bride and body, what else? Children. Children. Very good. How about a building? May not be one we think of all the time, but turn to Jeremiah 24, and I'm going to show you just a few passages. Uh, The church is a building, and I don't mean uh, brick and mortar, though that's not wrong for you to think of that. It is where we gather, and we call that the church. Um, But even kind of our organic connection to one another and to Christ is in the Scriptures called a building. So if you go to Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 6, Isaiah, Jeremiah... Isaiah 24, 6. Somebody read that when you get there. Just not all at once.
1: I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them
0: up. So there, this is a a promise of uh, the New Covenant. And we see two metaphors, building and planting. Um, so the church is a building, the church is a plant, or, or vine, or tree. Uh, go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 18. Whoever gets there first, shout it out. I tell you you are Peter
1: and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against
0: it I will build my church so there's some construction going on first Peter 2 4 through 5 Bible drill whoever gets there
1: to offer out spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God
0: through Jesus Christ. So God is building a spiritual house. We see this all the way back in Jeremiah. We see this in Matthew. We see this in 1 Peter. As far as the plant or tree, we, we looked in Jeremiah 24. Also, I'll read quickly. Uh, somebody turn to John 15, 5. And before you get there, I'm going to read Isaiah six thirteen. Isaiah 6.13, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So you have this tree that's cut down. That's really a reference to who is the holy seed? Jesus. So the, the tree is Israel. It gets cut down, but the stump remains. There's an organic connection to what has gone before. And out of that stump, out of Israel, comes Jesus who is... The vine, which we find in John fifteen. So somebody read John fifteen, five. I am the vine, you are the
1: branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do
0: nothing. Very good. So the church is a building, the church is a plant, or a tree, or a vine, the church is a body, the church is a bride. All of these help us to better understand who we are. Um, so what do these metaphors teach us about the church then? Building. Let's say building. What, what does that make you think?
1: Purposely put together for some
0: function. So there's a builder yeah. with a purpose. That's, that's very good. What else?
1: Strength and shelter.
0: Very good. If you connect this to um, the the language in First Peter is about temple, and if you connect this to the Old Testament temple, that was where God dwelled. God dwelled with His people in the temple. So this is the church is the holy habitation of God. It is where uh, God dwells on the earth. He dwells with His people, and um, you know the fact that we're a building, that we're a temple, points us to that. Also, that the work is not finished. He's still building. I will build my church. He has been building His church. Um, We will talk about the fact that perhaps that goes even further back than just New Testament times, but uh, we can have a discussion anyway. But the point is, God is the builder. There is a purpose, and uh, the work's not finished. He's still building. What about with the vine or plant tree imagery? What does that make you think of? We could go back with what Clark, there's a gardener, you know, there's a planter, but what else? It's a living thing. It is a living thing. And we even get kind of a crossing of metaphors when we talk about, we are living stones. So that um, kind of organic living, which we might think of more of plant, it's in the temple too. What else?
1: vine produces
0: fruit. Fruit. Branches. Uh, if you don't abide in the vine, you won't have fruit and you'll get cut off and, you know, <coughs> removed. That's a terrifying thought. But, you know, also there's an organic connection to Christ and to one another. Um, whether we like it or not, we have a relationship with these other branches <laughs> And uh, in our better moments, we actually like that very much. What about body?
1: Interdependence.
0: On? On one another. Yeah. Yeah, if my hand just decides to do whatever it wants to do, you know, my arm might get a little tired and um, the rest of my body may not do as well as it could. And on the head? I mean, you cut off the head, the rest of the body ceases to function. So again, we have that organic connection to Christ and and to one another. Um, And then bride, Jesus is the groom. The church is the Lord's beloved. I think that there is some great assurance to be had in that you are a member of the bride of the faithful husband. And there is some great confidence that you can find there in terms of your own salvation. Um, So all of these rich... Layered together to help us understand more of who we are as the church. Okay, in our uh, lesson, one of the things, one of the distinctions that are made is between the visible church and the invisible church. So what is the visible church? Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, the church that you can see. So, I mean, even though we would want to say, you know, the church is not the building, and that's true. I mean, we do meet here, though, and this is our place and all of that. But um, just the fact that all of the legitimate, and I would say legitimate churches all over the world. We'll talk more about what makes a church legitimate. But um, all of the uh, professing Christians all over the world, that is... The visible church, and um, one way that it was said in the lesson, all of those united in covenant with the same God, under the covenant headship of the same Christ, indwelled by the same Holy Spirit. The visible church, all of those who profess the name of the Lord. So how do we find the true visible church? Uh, This is where there is a little bit of discussion about the marks of the church, and any um, study of kind of a, a reformation view on uh, ecclesiology, which is just church structures, church polity, church dynamics, you're going to find basically three marks of the church. Now, people have been adding to marks and you know wanting more marks, but there's a ministry called Nine Marks, which is a good ministry, and, and you should read it. There's a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and I think they're all good. But as far as we can remember, as as far as we can look back in church history, um, and the reformers really kind of nailed this down, there are three main marks of the church. One is the true preaching of the Word of God. If you don't have the preaching of the Word of God, it's not a church. The second would be the right administration of the sacraments. Now, we can talk about what's the right administration of the sacraments, but are you given the bread and the wine or the juice and... And uh, telling what Jesus told us in you know the institution of the supper, and are you are you giving the sacraments? And then the third mark of the church, anybody know what that is? Church discipline. Church discipline. Uh, there you can think about discipline in a positive and a negative way. One way to discipline yourself is to do the right thing over and over again. Right, so. It is actually church discipline in a healthy, constructive way that our elders have said, we're going to meet together on Sundays and Wednesdays, and those are going to be the times that we have worship services together. That's kind of a positive church discipline. Um, And then there's kind of the negative church discipline, which is maybe what we think about when somebody persists in sin. And I would say to you, church discipline actually starts in here. It actually starts with that organic connection that we have to one another. When you look at Matthew 18, the classic text on church discipline, it starts with, when your brother or sister sins against you, go to them and tell them their fault. And if they repent, you've gained them. Now, we would extend that to say, if they're just obviously involved in sin, everyone sins. We don't want to be fruit inspectors. We don't want to, every time someone sins around us, institute church discipline, but just know that like if someone around you is just carrying on in sin, the way that true church discipline would start is go to them humbly and say, brother, sister, I love you. I certainly don't claim to be um, just killing this Christian life thing, but it would not be right for me not to speak into this. I mean, I see a pattern here of persistent sin and, you know, if they give you two middle fingers, I still would say give it some time and let the Holy Spirit work because even though they may resist the seed going in, you never know how they'll respond in two months. But I just... um, Church discipline is a mark of the church. When that gets further down the line, elders get involved and things like that, but um, that is a true mark of the church. Now, no church perfectly manifests these marks. So we need to make distinctions between more pure versus less pure true churches and then true versus false churches. We can get a little bit overzealous and think because they're really not manifesting any of the marks very well, they're not a true church. Well, that's not necessarily true. They may not be a mature church. Um, They may not be a super healthy church, but they may be a true church. So um, give me some examples or an example of a more pure versus a less pure church. How about what the example we just used, I mean, church discipline. I would say that's probably um, not... Usually practiced in the evangelical church in our country. Now, that's not totally true because there are positive disciplines that are practiced, like meeting together corporately and worship at the same time, and and you know we uh, meet together on Wednesday nights or whatever, and we have kind of designed functions of our growth and development of our people. Most churches are going to have that, um, but in terms of really trying to um, protect the flock from sin, and lovingly walk with people. There may be churches that do a much better job of that than other churches. So you could make distinctions like more pure, more mature in that regard. It doesn't mean that the one that's not doing it, hardly, is not a true church. It it just means that um, they have some work to do in terms of their growth and maturity as a church. How about true versus false?
1: Like an example? Yeah. I would say the accurate handling of the Word of God versus those who just teach the feelings and what draws people
0: and sounds good. Sure. And that's really, I mean, now you're saying that there's probably a lot of people that would say that they are churches like we are but they're really not preaching God's Word. Um, and that is a mark if you're not preaching the Bible. And look, are there variations in how well of the Bible? We're certainly not the standard. But are they opening the Word? Are they saying what God has said? Are they trying to explain it and help people understand it and live according? Um, there are many ministries where that's just not a part of it at all. And that would definitely be a mark of a false church. Um, More glaring examples, I guess, would be uh, like Mormonism. I mean, that's a false church. It's not a a true church. It denies the Trinity. It denies the deity of Christ. It denies salvation by grace through faith. So, um, you know, are they using the Bible? I mean, yeah, that's part of what they're doing, but um, it's a false church. But there are Christian churches to varying degrees that uh, affirm the basic tenets of the faith, And you know they preach the word and administer the sacraments and have some measure of church discipline, even if there's a lot of room to grow. It may be more pure, less pure, more mature, less mature, but it is a church. So those are that's an important thing uh, to know. What is the invisible church then? That's right. Uh, big Bible word for that would be the elect, right? The invisible church is all the people written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, you know, we don't know who they are. There are a lot of people that are a part of the visible church that are not a part of the invisible church. And I would even say there are those that are not a part of the visible church that are a part of the invisible church. Um, I would not ever recommend that because of the whole building body You know, bride thing, plant and all that. But, um, yes, there are those, that is all of those that will be with the Lord eternally, the invisible church. Why is it important to make the distinction between the visible and invisible church? Well, one thing is just because the Bible does. I mean, you know, you have letters to the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae. And if you've read those letters, you know that those churches were struggling in some areas. Uh, Corinth is kind of a classic example. I mean, rampant sexual immorality of the, you know, incest variety and some, some other things going on there that were making Paul a little bit, Red in the face and losing sleep at night. The good pastor's heart that he had. Um, But they were true churches. Now, they had some maturing to do. And, you know, not everyone in those churches were necessarily a, a member of the invisible church. You had people that had come along and professed the faith and there were warnings that Paul would give to make sure that you're really in the faith and things like that. And so... Um, it's important to make the distinction because number one, the Bible does, but also I think it. I think it. I think it. I think it helps us from being overzealous. Um, I do. I have multiple friends who, and they are believers, but they have never, and they really struggle to commit to a church. And you know why? Because we're a lot like Corinth we're a lot like Ephesus. And we got a lot of maturing to do. And you get in there and you're afraid some of that's going to get off on your kids and you're afraid, you know, I mean, there's just, there's still a lot of maturing to do as the church. And I think it's what a seminary professor might call an over-realized eschatology, which means eschatology is just the last things. They want the church to be somewhere that she's not supposed to be right now. They want the church to be in her perfect, glorified state. Maybe they would reject that and say, no, I just want her to be a little better than she is. Um, But
1: Their conception of the perfect.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I think the thing that it really is, it is a rejection of the sovereignty of Christ over His bride because He has her where He wants her. If He wanted us to be somewhere else, that's where we would be because He is sovereign over all. Now, is that okay? Great, live it up. No, we by no means, you know. But there is a sense in which, if we struggle with the immaturity of the bride of Christ, we really need to come to submit to him and talk to him about it. He's the head, <laughs> he's the sovereign, he's the one driving the boat, and so we all struggle. Like that. And we ought to work for the peace and purity and growth and health and maturity of the church. And yet, um, I think that my friends have what I would call an over realized eschatology. I think they they are struggling to accept where Jesus has his bride at this moment. Is he going to purify her perfectly? Absolutely, yes, he is. Are we there yet? Not yet. But we're on the way. It's important to make the distinction between the invisible and visible church so that we understand, yeah, we gather together everyone that professes the name of Christ, and you know what? Not everyone in there is going to be true. Um, Not everyone in there is going to be in glory. And in the meantime, we're going to have some weeds pop up among the true stuff, and we're just going to kind of let the Lord sort that out in His time. It's the way He told us to do it. It's also helpful for preaching. You don't ever want to assume that everyone in there is unsaved or everyone in there is saved. You're always speaking to a mixed bag. So you're going to be trying to disciple disciples. You're going to be trying to um, shepherd the flock. You're going to be trying to grow and mature the body. And you're also going to be trying to confront people who are falsely assured of their salvation. Um, Anyway, we've got a number of other things we could talk about, so we'll hold them to next week. But uh, what stands out so far? Anything you want to piggyback on or ask a question about?
1: Hey, Chris. Yeah. not 100% clear on the invisible church.
0: Nothing. Sure. Uh, did you just, how did you define that? Well, the short answer would be the elect. Um, the, the final number of the people of God. You know, when John, who wrote Revelation, gets a vision of the end in Revelation 7... He says, Behold, I looked, and there was a multitude so great that no one could number it, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That is the invisible church. It's all of God's people gathered together at the end of time. So, that the invisible church has existed as long as there have been saved people. But it's just, we, we can't always tell who the real Christians are. Only God knows the heart. We have lots of people profess Christ, have a good testimony, and man, it's pretty shocking sometimes the people that walk away from the faith or functionally walk away from the faith. You know, um, so the invisible church is just that—the the multitude so great no one could number the saved people of God, those for whom Christ died and rescued from their sins, gathered together at the end of time, those who are truly saved. Does that make sense? Yeah. And they will
1: be completely visible at the
0: end of time. That's exactly right. Right now, while there may be some, uh, you know, difference, or uh, the, the visible and invisible are not fully together, but they will fully be together at the end of time. The invisible church being made visible. And I would argue it is made visible also now. I mean there are those that we are fairly confident they're in Christ, you know? Um, But, you know, Dr. Young, the longer he goes on, the the more skeptical he is of a profession of faith, just because he's seen so many people, you know, jet. And um, that's a sobering thing. Paul saw it a lot. And yet it did not stop him from addressing the church at Ephesus, or at, you know, it was he was really addressing God's people. Anyway, I think that's a helpful distinction. What else? Anything else?
1: Well, and just an encouragement: how much we need the church. That's you right. Know, if we think that oh, we're good, we you know we understand all this, but the, you know, we never know what's around the corner, and you know, who needs us and who we need. I mean, that's just yeah. a good exhortation for that too. Absolutely. Chris, what would you say um, you know, to a group of people that have been involved in a church split and then you yeah. know, years down the road you have dozens of families who just can't, won't yeah. get plugged in and become members of the church?
0: Well, I would start by trying to grieve with those who grieve. I mean, I think I have never been a part of that. And I have been a part of a church that had some deep discord and um, yet never officially split. It is a painful, horrible, terrible thing. I mean, I think, and I don't mean to compare apples to oranges, but I think the kind of effect that a divorce in in a close family member has on the children, or it's similar psychologically, emotionally. It just is a terrible, ugly, horrible thing. So grieve with them and be patient with them. And yet at some point, I think that we need to, because we understand that God is building a building and He's growing a vine and He's you know, maturing a body and He's perfecting a bride, and all of that involves us not being isolated out on our own, it would be good to enter in with them and try to at least have the conversation. I think that this visible invisible thing can be helpful. Uh, You know, just talking through what are your burdens, and a lot of there we're the church. We're not supposed to be that way, and you were not supposed to be. I mean, and ideally that's not where we're going to be, but we're in the in between right now. And hasn't God been so patient with you and your growth and development? And I mean, we really need to be patient with other believers. But grieve with them. I grieve at what's happening right now at High Point. And if you don't, if it's just, you know, blog fodder, well, that's not the right way to do it. Because, you know, we're all a part of the church. And they are family. And they may be extended family, but they're going through a time... And you know what? There's going to be a whole heck of a lot of people that are dealing with what you're talking about. And it may be a friend at work five years from now who hadn't been in church because, I mean, have you ever seen that? It's kind of like somebody that goes through a real bad divorce and they believe they've got God's blessing to remarry and I ain't ever getting married again. You know, it's like, that's different because we actually need the church. But... I hope that helps. I think you just got to be patient. It really is a horrible thing. and um, But don't be afraid at the right time to speak into that and really encourage them to reconnect because we really do need each other. That's most obvious when we're going through something big. I mean, um, I think you feel the greatest sense of relief at, you know, having arms as a hand <laughs> and having... Uh, the rest of the body, when you just feel like, I can't use anything right now. I'm not functional. I'm just going to be here in a mess and melt. And that's fine from time to time. And God's going to appoint our times to, to do that and struggle and go through the hardest trials that we've ever been through. And what a blessing it is to be a part of the church. Um, it's one of the things that you always hear from those who go through real dark times is what a gift the church was. Was she perfect? Nope. And sometimes, unfortunately, you remember her imperfections during those times, but, you know, she is good. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Because this this is a class, I'm I'm a student, I'm asking you a question. Uh, Please. I'm going to sound really stupid. No, you're not. No stupid um, questions. So we talked about, you said something about the Mormon church being a false church. Yeah. Um, so I was at some friend's house last night, and they're Catholic. Yeah. And one of their kids asked me if I was Catholic, mm. and I was just kind of shocked by the question. And because he's, he's older now, and I said uh, no, and then he followed more questions. Yeah. Are you, he's like, are you religious? And I was like, uh, well, yeah, I'm religious. He like, well, do you say, you know, rosary like my grandfather does? Like, uh, no. And, so then I just I didn't really know I didn't want to like I went inside right away and was like yeah your son's asking me if I'm Catholic I'm telling him I'm, I'm not I don't want to like disparage your religion but I don't know how exactly to handle that situation yeah I don't want to discourage somebody who's obviously sees themselves as he told me I'm very was I'm very religious yeah and I was like that's I don't know what to say to that sure I don't want to discourage it yeah but I can't follow along and say, I am a Catholic too. No. But I didn't want to... I know Dr. Young has talked about this on Wednesdays, and I've heard it. I've never quite completely understood where we draw the line is. Sure. Like, I don't want to say...
0: Well, here, Okay, so you actually just introduced next week, because the next thing to talk about... uh, You're going to have to wait a little bit because we can't open it all up, but um, the Holy Catholic Church, which is what's in the Creed, and... I would say, you could say yes, if you really wanted to open up a discussion and say, but I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm a Catholic. Well, what does that mean? Well, Catholic is just a word that means universal, and I'm part of Christ's church, which is, spans all nations, It's, it's and all time, and it's universal. Uh, so yeah, I'm Catholic, but not like that.
1: That's why I asked.
0: Yeah. Now, you may need to follow that up with some other stuff and we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. So, uh, be here next week and bring that back up. Okay. And I think that's a great thing. Let's pray. Father, we come with gratitude and uh, some with uh, great burden, some that has been spoken, some that has not. But Lord... There is great comfort to be had in that, Lord Jesus, we are connected to you uh, eternally, but, but not just theoretically. In a real, live, functional way, you are our head, we are your body. You are our bridegroom, we are your bride. You are the vine, we are the branches. And Lord, we thank you that we are irreversibly connected to you because of your sovereign grace. We thank you that we're connected to one another. We thank you for the gifts that you give to the church and for the um, hope and grace and peace and love that you minister to us through your people. Lord, we do ask um, that you would help us to better understand where we are in your grand design. Help us to understand these distinctions where they are helpful. And Lord, what has not been helpful, would you help us to forget it quickly? we do ask that You would continue to refine us and purify us and strengthen us and mature us, all for Your glory, so that You might be made known all over the world. And we pray in Christ's name, Amen.